Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk About Brand. I, of course, am your host, Christine Gritman, and I'm coming at you every single week interviewing guest experts about specific elements of branding. Welcome to those who are joining us on your podcast players of choice via the Adweek Podcast Network. I highly encourage you to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode every Monday. I'm dropping new ones. And if you love it, which I really hope you do, please leave a review. Or perhaps you're joining me on YouTube. I drop the video podcast of the week's podcast episode every Friday here on YouTube. So again, be sure to subscribe to Christine Gritman Inc. on YouTube so that you don't miss a single episode. Oh, and in between the Monday podcast drop and the Friday video podcast drop, we have in between on Tuesdays, Chat About Brand. That is my Twitter chat where you get to weigh in on the week's topic. This week's topic is definitely one that is very relevant to a lot of brands, which is branding in a stagnant industry, especially if you're in something like B2B or or tech or something like that, it can sometimes be a situation where maybe the branding doesn't happen the same way it would in, you know, a sexier like consumer goods type of industry. So we're going to talk to Melissa Luvisi. Melissa is the chief strategy officer at Tab32. If you don't know what Tab32 is, you are probably not a dentist. So we are going to talk about how Melissa has brought branding and digital marketing and all of that, um, some innovation there and some creativity to an industry that is maybe a little less flashy and how she's done that in the past as well. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, without any further ado, let's bring her on. Hello, Melissa. <laughs> for having me. <laughs> Thank you for being here. So we were talking before the show started about how you've had an interesting career journey when it comes to marketing, branding, all that stuff. You've worn a lot of hats. So if you could just kind of give us the the brief version of that journey and how it led you to tab 32. Yeah. So um, I started my career uh, in marketing accidentally. I went to school at UCLA and graduated college in 2008, 2009. And at that time, it was the peak of the 2008-2009 recession. So I was basically slinging salads at this restaurant startup called Tender Greens. If any of you are from LA and lived there at that time, they kind of had a cult-like following uh, from 2006 to until about when they sold, If they and they still do. Um, so they sold for $100 million. I was their first corporate employee. And with that, they had, they would do things like Twitter and to encourage legislation to be passed so they could get the permits for new restaurants they were opening. And it was pretty exciting times. Um, then I, after that, I started an art business in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. 
where we were the first to bring like a newsletter resource for art events happening. I sold that to a partner, came back to California and opened my boutique marketing firm, where I was working for big retail brands all over the country um, in the background, doing things like social media production, SEO, that sort of stuff. And that's where I bumped into my current CEO, who basically gave me an offer I couldn't deny. um, And I came on board to Tab32 full time. All right. Now, as I mentioned, you have worn a lot of hats, you know, at various places, including Tab 32. So if you could give us just a little bit of a summary of some of the different hats you wear as their chief strategy officer at the moment. Yeah, definitely. So I started out at Tab 32 as their salesperson and then moved into a VP of sales, business development, and now I'm their chief strategy officer. So my job is to understand the market. And also understand how Tab32 as a company plays into that. I work with all of the board of advisors, um, all of our enterprise accounts as well, and the marketing teams, to, as well as our implementation and operational teams, to make sure that we are attacking the market as strategically as possible. Now, this is an industry that you didn't already really have a connection to, I imagine. I mean, This is a product that is for dental practices. And as far as I'm aware, you don't run a dental practice. So uh, it's a little bit different than coming at it from marketing, you know, Coca-Cola or or something like that, where everyone has this familiarity with it and really knows the market. So what has that been like for you to kind of get up to speed and to get your arms around that market and their needs? Yeah, so to kind of paint a picture of what the dental practice management landscape looked like when we went to market. There were only, there still are only about four to five key players um, servicing that industry. And those players, a lot of them, other than a couple of us have been around since the 1990s. So, you know, when I came into the industry, I was really shocked to see that the competition wasn't using a lot of the tools that I had used in previous jobs. And so I, you know, whenever I see white space in an industry, I'm like, "Mm, there's opportunity there. So what we did is we really took an influencer model in the beginning to address a lot of the problems. And with my experience of having been in internet marketing from like the blogger world as it transitioned into influencers to kind of what we have today, um, I really felt that I could meet the needs of the industry by kind of shaking things up a little. Now, how did you find the the influencers? Who are the dental practice management influencers? That's a good question. Um, There are very few of them. um, And I would argue that we kind of became one. So I took that influencer model and then applied it to a B2B company. So, for example, in the when we started out in the industry, one of the things that we did immediately was is we refreshed our website. Um, we refresh our website fairly and refresh our branding almost every year and a half. And it's been pretty it's been pretty interesting to see how um, people within the industry now seem to have a lot more blue and green in their uh, marketing than they did before in their branding. But we really wanted to freshen things up, so we followed suit of you know, B2B companies that had a lot of influence, like HubSpot, for example, I think in the beginning was a really big influencer. Um, And then we also launched a YouTube channel where we would invite uh, what we call key opinion leaders in the industry 
to come have conversations with us about how dentistry was growing. The industry is rapidly consolidating right now. So that means that there's a lot of change. There's a lot of PE money coming into the industry. And it really is kind of like the wild, wild west. So with that YouTube launch, we really were starting conversations across the industry that I don't think people were having beforehand. Now, how do you build audience and reach and a following for, for something like a YouTube series uh, with, with dental practices? How do you sort of find how to break into that? Because that's not a general audience. You're not going for a million followers. You're going for very targeted followers. So how do you go about that in a different way than you might have for, say, the restaurant group, which might have been a little bit more general of a following? Yeah, right. Because the restaurant group is B2C. This is a B2B market. Well, one, I think you have to set realistic expectations. Who is your audience? And you need to make sure that, you know, your CEO or your COO, whoever's looking at these numbers understands the goal. Um, Because you're right. It isn't about a million followers. It's about finding the right followers and having the right amount of influence. So there are a few people within the industry, which we would call key opinion leaders. And then we also wanted to find people that we were in alignment with. So like I um, I think we had said this in our before the interview, but, you know, a lot of the industry and companies were built in the 1990s. Um, and so and a lot of their branding hadn't changed, but we really wanted to connect with people who were innovators. So by connecting with people who were innovators, we then were allowed, were able to reach their networks, which also is more people who are dental innovators. So really making sure that we're meeting the needs of our followers by connecting with like-minded um, associates. One of the really interesting things that you said before that I want to go back to is you said that you've kind of rebranded every year, year and a half, something like that. What is the reason for that? That's really interesting because I think, of course, you know, you build a brand, you try to sort of build that brand equity and brand refreshes happen all the time, but that's a pretty quick clip. Uh, what, what was the reasoning behind that and what did you shift each time? Definitely. So like I said, the industry right now is experiencing rapid consolidation, which happened in medical in the 1990s um, with the introduction of electronic care. So electronic healthcare records. Um, and because of that rapid consolidation, it means that the industry itself has changed in addition to that COVID change. So in order to keep up with the changes that were happening in the industry, obviously we have our tried and true brand um, things like our colors. And I actually we did our logo more recently, but you know, those are some tried and true things. But when it comes to how we're interacting with our clients, that really has changed. So when we first went to market, you know, we were mostly marketing to independent practices. Those are small business practices. And that is a very different model than what's happening as a result of the consolidation in the industry. So they call, they're called DSO, uh, Dental Service Organizations. And those are multiple practices coming together to create a group. And that market is very different. So at first, you know, a lot of our marketing really spoke to the independent practices. We still service independent practices. We always will. You know, our heart and soul started with the small business owner. Um, but in order to meet the needs of the DSOs and for them to understand that, no, we weren't, that 
our cloud technology is incredibly comprehensive and customizable, which is what a DSO needs. We had to shift and start marketing to them and branding to them. And I think now that we've been in the industry long enough that we've really landed on more of a hybrid. So, you know, people know who we are and they understand our capabilities. And so now we really have done a great job of melding those two brand messages together. One of the things that's interesting is, of course, as a strategy officer, your job blends the sales and the marketing ends of things. But I'd love to to go more towards the marketing and the creative and the branding elements, because, of course, you can always, you know, sell and get in there based on features. But I'd like to talk about kind of the the softer, more brand elements <laughs> of things. You know, the the logo, the colors, the the content strategy, all of that. So I'd like to talk through how that happened there. Did they really have a strong branding program before you got there? And and how did you sort of figure out how to go about all of that with a product in a market like this? You know, as a marketer, I've always believed that the best way to market any in industry is to educate. So, you know, at Tender Greens, it was all about farm to fork food, why we want healthy food and why we want to bring it to the masses. And then at, in at Tab32, for us, it's all about how do we educate practices about the power of cloud? Cloud is the future. Um, and how do we get them to understand that the investments they make today in technology then will help them? So, you know, our brand colors are blue and green that really evoke that kind of cloud experience. Additionally, we always like to keep things very clean. You know, like I said, when we came into the market in around around 2016, cloud actually didn't really even exist that much. So, you know, cloud's relatively new. Think about when Google Drive um, went to market. So how do we align those key messages? Uh, the company, I was the first full-time employee hired at the company. Um, really, one of our interns and now head engineers should get the credit for it. But um, I, but it was a very small team. And so there wasn't any content marketing. And so it was, how do you get the biggest bang for your buck? Well, if you're educating people on, say, the appropriate way to set up systems or a pr like quality workflow, how do you build your growth? That kind of education is built into our blogs. We try not to have too much fluff in our blogs. We want people to come to our blogs to um, understand more about technology and the space that we're in. And before, not very many of my competitors were doing that. I would say now everyone's doing that. Um, and I'd like to think that we helped push that needle forward. As about to ask about the competitive market, um, not not details on your competitors, but kind of what they're doing in terms of branding and, you know, how you're standing out from them in that space as a brand. Yeah, so I would, you know, I everyone in this space does a really good job of marketing themselves. Um, but I think that that has evolved over time with some key newer brands, such as myself, coming into the market and kind of pushing things, like I said, like our YouTube channel. Being in sales, uh, I was speaking to thousands and thousands of dentists every year. And it meant that I heard thousands and thousands of dentists, you know, 
their woes and their challenges that they were facing. And that allowed me to have key insight into how our product should, can, and could meet their needs. And then we would then take that and you now put it on YouTube and invite our dentists actually to come on board and say, hey, why did you choose tab 32? So the competitive landscape has changed. Like I said, there's some people who have been in the industry for a long time, but um, they weren't utilizing a lot of the same tools that we use at tab 32. And I would say now today they are. Um, but if you were to historically look at, you know, the different channels for marketing, you would see that a lot of that shifted very rapidly. But I mean, that's kind of how branding has shifted just in the general uh, micro or macrocosm of the world, right? The internet has really changed the way that brands brand. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Absolutely. In terms of the way that brands brand, um, when you went through your history before, you've branded some very different things. So so focusing on kind of what sounded like the big three, there was a restaurant that was growing from a restaurant to a an expanding business. There was your own art business, which I'd love to hear a little bit more about, which is definitely, you know, a smaller thing, a very niche thing and a very new thing that you built entirely yourself. And then there's the B2B tech that we were just talking about with tab 32. So how has your branding process differed in these very different environments? And what's been the same? Are there any constants? Because I know that you were also learning along with these experiences. So I'm, I'm just kind of curious about, you know, the differences between marketing for those three very different products in very different markets. Yeah, no, definitely. I think... As a marketer and as a, as a brand, as someone who manages brands, there's just some tried and true principles that are always true. And these are true in business, they're true in marketing. And these are some, you know, foundational things, like I said, like using content to educate that can help guide your strategy, right? Um, and then there's the need and necessity to be nimble. So the internet has changed significantly in the past decade. Uh, take, for example, algorithms have completely changed the way we interact on the, on the internet and has completely changed how businesses and brands um, perform on the internet, if you will. Now you can even track performance metrics. There was a time when you didn't even really have those. You were just kind of shooting in the dark. So I think as I've evolved, being able to change based on the changing landscape of what people are interested in is really important. And then as I've gotten 
you know, I guess more mature in my career. You know, I understand the metrics. And because I was doing sales for Tab 32, I also understand the unique tie back and the relationship between sales and marketing, which I think we will continue to see more and more brands um, really combine those two. Historically, they've always been very separate, but I think with the internet, um, you can't separate them anymore. Um, you know, the internet is a business's form. It is their profile, if you will. And a lot of times your internet presence is the first time someone's going to hear about your brand. So understanding that I think is really important. And then I, so I think the tried and true principles have always helped guide me, but I've had an, enough flexibility to understand when to lean in on video or when to lean in on social or when to lean in on email, for example. And as you pointed out, in addition to being very different industries and very different products, very different brands, they're also very different times. I mean, you were telling me before about how the the restaurant, you know, restaurants weren't really using Twitter so much yet back then. And, and that was just starting. And then with your art business about how it was one of the first ones to really leverage newsletters. So to that end, what do you think is kind of coming up next that is really piquing your interest in terms of being one of those new vehicles that businesses of any sort can use to really get their brand out there? That's a good question. You know, because I'm in a B2B market and in in healthcare, it's a little bit different, right? So I think that depending, I think it's really important that people understand when you're developing a brand and you're developing brand voice, that you understand what platforms best meet your needs. Because a lot of times what I see new businesses do and young businesses do is they try to do everything. And that just isn't there's just not enough bandwidth. And so what you need to find out is what platform best suits your needs. And then you need to curate your message to that platform. So because every platform is different, you would use Facebook or Facebook's groups very differently than you would use LinkedIn. Um, You know, I find is what I find is I'm really interested in introducing more video um, and getting back to our YouTube campaigns that we, you know, we kind of put a pause on them during one of our growth phases. And so we're hoping to get back to spend more time with, with YouTube. The searchability is very cool there. Um, and yeah, so I would, I think video is going to continue to be important. If I was a brand that wasn't in healthcare and B2B, obviously I think TikTok is kind of, you know, has really put itself on the map. Um, and I think, I just don't think that's the space right now for the industry that I'm in, but it would be kind of fun to, you know, consult on some campaigns, I think, for something like an influencer or maybe a restaurant brand. That would certainly be a way to stand out. <laughs> All right. Interesting creative challenge. And and I probably should have thought of this earlier. I'm just coming up with it now. But If you, knowing what you know now and in this space of we're in 2023, if you were to put together, you know, some place that you think that tender greens should be taking advantage of or some place that you feel like your art business um, should be would be taking advantage of if they were happening under you now in 2023, what are some things that you would embrace for those brands? 
You know, that's a really good question because as we're looking at 2020, you know, COVID really devastated the arts and the restaurant industry. And so in a lot of ways right now, those are kind of like the Wild West. They're having to re-identify themselves and recreate new and innovative ways to reach an audience, um, which is both exciting and um, nerve wracking. But I think it all goes back to who is your ideal client in 2023? What are their needs? And then don't be afraid to ask them what their needs are and then change based on those needs. You know, we talked about this idea of being nimble. Um, We've changed our branding also based on feedback from our clients, right? We've changed our product based on feedback from our clients. We truly believe that in order for a technology to innovate, you have to cannibalize yourself. And I think that that's kind of true for branding too. You know, yes, to a degree, you have to have those like three to five things you're consistently known for. Otherwise, people kind of um, might forget what the brand is or it might muddy out the message. So you really want your core principles to be the same. But the reality is, is that the internet's changing, the marketplace is changing. And so being nimble and innovative and pulling information from your clients is going to help guide those brand decisions. Now, you have worked, you know, tiny business, huge business in between tiny becoming big. What are some things that in your experience, just looking back on what you've seen when businesses have been small, when businesses have gotten bigger? What are some things brand-wise that you think larger businesses could be could perhaps learn from smaller businesses and that smaller businesses could perhaps learn from larger businesses as it relates to how they approach uh, defining and expressing their brands? Yeah. So, you know, when I was at Tender Greens, the CEOs of that, uh, the CEO, CFO, um, and the COO strongly influenced the decisions that I make in branding. You know, they had this model that was called the 10-year plan. Uh, they And that was actually the name of their business. So it was TYP restaurant groups doing business as Tender Green. And their idea was create a business that is sustainable. And that's something that I really fell in love with when I met the CEO of Tab 32. His idea wasn't like, we're not going to grow fast and have to lay off a bunch of people like you see in tech all the time. We're going to grow sustainably. And if we do it right, then sustainable growth will impact the sales, right? And so when it comes to branding, I think sometimes people are trying to grow too fast or they are following their smaller businesses sometimes are trying to copy what other people are doing. And I think that it's just important, you know, to stay in your own lane, but to really have what you, a 10 year plan, you know, a successful business is going to take at least 10 years to build. And if you're going to commit to that, commit to it and have a strategy that is in alignment with that. Um, It's hard to commit to that, to anything for 10 years, but the reality is, if, if it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. And then for bigger brands, I think bigger brands could stand to be a little bit more adventurous, right? Bigger brands get to a size, they find out what works, they do the same thing again and again, but then they miss the opportunity, in my opinion, to jump into new markets or to understand younger generations and what means. And 
you know, you really see that with some of the larger brands, the larger food brands that have now had to merge together um, because the way people eat is changing. So I think that both both um, personas, I guess, if you will, can work together. It can learn something from each other. All right. Similarly, and this will be this will be my last question, I promise. Similarly, you know, you have worked in direct to consumer, direct to consumer, you know, the not direct to consumer. That's not the <laughs> but you know what I mean? The the restaurants, restaurants are something that is, you know, consumer based. And you've also worked in something that's very specialized B2B. So, again, what are some things that those two worlds can learn from each other that B2B can learn from consumer brands? And that consumer brands could perhaps even learn from something like niche B2B. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, obviously I work in dental, so I'm going to kind of have to compare things to dental. So, you know, the dental industry has constantly relied on very large margins. But as inflation is occurring, it means they've relied on large margins, but their dental practices have a, a ton of inefficiencies within them. And that was fine when your margins are high and you can afford to pay people to do a lot of manual work. Well, post-COVID and inflation, we have staff turnover. We have a lot of, um, you know, the margins are getting smaller. Whereas in the restaurant industry, they've really learned how to work on very small margins very efficiently. And so I think that it's really important, especially in things like healthcare, where we look at other industries and we understand what they're doing right. And then we can learn from them and we can't shy away from something because it's too hard or it hasn't been done before. Um, and so I think that that's a big takeaway for the dental industry right now. Um, from a branding perspective, I think that, you know, healthcare brands could use some space to be more consumer centric and more patient centric. You have a lot of inefficiencies within your dental practice and you are still using things like paper forms. Patients aren't going to want to go to your dental practice. They are going to find a dental practice that aligns with how they run the rest of their lives, which is on their phone. So you have to be able to make those changes, which aren't always easy. Um, in order to give that amazing customer experience, because in the advent of the internet, consumers will just change their dentists in the same way they change which restaurant they want to go to. Um, but if you create the experience for them and they feel connected to that community and that brand, they will come back again and again. Not only that, they'll advocate for you. Love it. Well, this has been really, really illuminating, Melissa. Definitely touches on industries and thoughts and concerns and all of that that I haven't really experienced. So this has been a real education. Thank you. Uh, so where can people find you? Uh, why should they find you? And what will they find there? Yeah, definitely. So um, I'm a part of Newsweek's Expert Forum. So I write articles on Newsweek's Expert Forum. So that's always a good place to Find out anything about healthcare, dental technology. It gets a little nerdy over there. Um, I also can be found on Instagram as Melissa Ladisi and on Twitter. I'm not as active on Twitter, um, but people can always shoot me an email um, by just emailing the get started at tab32.com and then will come my way. 
if they have any questions or jump into a DM on my Instagram account and I can always answer questions there too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here and uh, thank you for handling those curveballs I threw at you with such grace. (laughs) I tried my best. I tried my best. (laughs) Well, thank you very much, Melissa. And thank you very much for listening. Whether you have joined us today on your podcast player of choice via the Adweek Podcast Network, or if you're joining us on YouTube. Either way, make sure that you subscribe. I drop new podcast episodes every Monday, new video podcasts of that same episode on Friday. And in between, I've got the Chat About Brand Twitter chat on Tuesdays, which is your opportunity to weigh in on the topic. Be sure to tune in next week when I'll be speaking with another smart expert on a specific element of branding. Bye. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk About Brand, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Christine Gritman, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Christine Gritman. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com.